With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome everyone to Rock'em Nation Podcast. This is a brand new episode of Dive Cuts, and we are here to talk all about your Missouri Tigers and their basketball program coming off a big win over the UCF Knights in Florida Live Arena in Sunshine, Florida. Uh, I am your host, Sam Snelling. With me, as always, uh, from the plains of Indiana, Matthew J. Harris. Matt, how are you? I've watched way too much film today. Way too much film. And and now I'm going to talk into a microphone. Uh, if I lose coherence at some point, just, just blame it on too much screen time today. <laughs> too much screen lots lots of uh lots of video um crunching the Missouri Tigers plays in preparation for the next edition of the verdict um Matt Watkins I, slave I'm driver. excited about it slave driver that Matt Watkins <laughs> he's uh he's not the most technologically advanced so I think that's why um you're the one left cutting the tape um to use an old school term because there is no tape cutting so, uh, yes, uh, we talked last week coming off the embarrassing uh, throttling of, uh, of your Missouri Tigers by the Kansas Jayhawks, rival Kansas Jayhawks. If it makes you feel any better, uh, Kansas looks to be in a little bit of a heater. Um, after uh, or before destroying Missouri, they destroyed Seton Hall. Then they turned around, beat the crap out of Mizzou. Um, and they whipped the... It's not out of somebody who was Indiana. It? They laid siege to Indiana, man. It was, and it, yeah, Indiana's like a legit top twenty-five level team, and there was just 
There was no contest. Eh, eh, Indiana. Well, should should I put a caveat to that? They're they're Jeff Go- uh, Goodman's <laughs> perennial Big Ten favorite. Um, they were top twenty five of the preseason. I think a lot of people were expecting them to be really good. Returned a lot of talent. Um, they they beat North Carolina at home, which I think we, we all have seen that North Carolina has struggled. And now they've lost three of four. Uh, that they, they they lost by fifteen at Rutgers. By 14 at Arizona, or on a neutral floor against Arizona, by 22 at Kansas. So the Zona Wildcats are 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 good. So if you think Indiana's a Big Ten title contender, it's losing by about 10 to 20 a game against other teams that you would expect to see uh, making deep runs in March. So anyway, Kansas looks like it's it's found its mojo. And they are beating the crap out of average uh, Kimpom teams, average teams in Kimpom. So Missouri did not look good for stretches. Missouri certainly played a hand in its own demise there. But um, watching what Kansas has done recently sort of, I think, takes a little bit of the sting, a little bit, not not a lot, but just a tiny amount <laughs> out, of, out of what happened. I, tiny bit of the shame away there. But like we said last week, this result was one I think you and I were more keen to see and sort of what Missouri did and this one sort of I think played out the way you and I kind of thought it would in that it was tight and that it was kind of a battle of who could really assert their stylistic preferences and you know both teams sort of had their their chances and stretches where they they really wrestled control of this game and Missouri eked it out you know in the most anti-Missouri fashion possible with a (laughs) 40-foot banker to win the game and walk it off. So I, uh, it was really like an interesting game, like the way the game flowed. Uh, um, there was no flow. Yeah. Well, I just mean like, you know, like the, the scoring and, and how the teams just sort of, you know, counter punching and, um, you know, uh, Gates came out and had sort of pivoted away from his, uh, at that point, you know, 10 game stretch of the same starting five and gave a new starting five kind of a, a uh, little bit of a different look. He set Noah Carter, uh, set down uh, DeAndre Golston, uh, and put in Trey Gamillion and Ryan McGray, and it did not go well. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Um, Mizzou really struggled to score uh, until, until they started making subs. Um, Nick Connor got hot, kind of got him back in the game. Uh, but I really felt like once they, once once he sort of made those substitutions and, and Missouri was able to kind of get on the board and 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 knock a few, I guess, cobwebs uh, out, whatever you want to kind of call it. Um, that they really kind of took control of the game, and and I thought uh, for about fifteen minutes of you know what the you know the first half, and then like another eight or so minutes of the second half, like Missouri was really kind of taking UCF to the woodshed. And really, like, there was a segment mostly in the beginning of the second half where it looked like Missouri was finally able to kind of dictate the pace of play. Yeah. Uh, they were attacking early. They were, you know, getting light ball turnovers. They were doing all the things that I think we've become accustomed to seeing them do this year. Um, and then, you know, UCF was able to sort of, 
I guess, shut that down a little bit. They uh, they were still trailing, and, and then they hit, like, three threes in a row uh, to sort of, you know, get that, you know, eight or nine-point lead back down to basically a tie ball game. Um, and, yeah, and then it was nip and tuck. And anytime you kind of get, uh, you know, really, like, a, a neutral site game where there's nobody in the stands, uh, you know, a handful of fans for UCF, handful of fans from Missouri, but no real impact from crowd noise. Um, you know, that, that I think that this result speaks to kind of what we've been saying, which is like, if Mizzou can find ways to win against the teams that are kind of in their neighborhood, then you you got to feel pretty good about the season. Uh, and so so far, they're basically, they're, they're 2-0 in that category. To me, what stuck out here was, you know, I... I thought, as a whole, Mizzou was pretty inflexible against Kansas in the face of, you know, game action where they should have pivoted. You know, the circumstances dictated that, okay, whatever Missouri's scout was or game plan against Kansas, that needed to get shredded early and they needed to to pivot and to adapt. And I thought Missouri was a little slow there. I thought the opposite was true uh, Saturday. I thought that, you know, Dennis tried out the new starting five, gave it about five minutes. They tried the usual base offense stuff. They tried to get through the pinch post. They tried to play some step out stuff, and it just didn't work. So they give up the 10-0 run. He calls timeout. He's not happy in the huddle, too, about ball pressure. So he puts Noah Carter out there and then, you know, subs in Isaiah Mosley kind of behind that. And I think the personnel shift helped just because you had a guy in Mosley who's more offensively oriented. And, you know, I think Noah Carter, too, to a certain extent, you know, kind of plays in the same spots as Kobe, but defenses don't always treat him the same way they treat Kobe in certain spots on the floor. But I also think Dennis, you know, with that personnel shift, changed the type of play calls he was making. He went away from inverting his bigs to putting them on the block, but inverting his guards and really running them off screen action, you know, sort of creating some overloads, you know, really, I think, changing some looks up there, getting the ball to, to guys in spots in touches that they wanted. And I think that really helped them find some flow offensively. You know, at the same time, they they started to get into the one three one zone. They they really got out of man. You know, they started once they started making shots, they got into the one two two, and then they dropped into a one three one. And I think the nice thing about that is they gave up some ball pressure, but they were getting some fifty fifty long rebounds and able to push off of that. So I thought that those were some tweaks to the lineup, to the play calls offensively, and then what they were doing defensively that sort of swung it. And I think that was probably the most heartening thing to see is, you know, that Gates recognized that, you know, the scout was off and that the decisions they made in pregame weren't quite panning out. So rather than waiting too long, he was pretty assertive in making changes. And I thought that really was was critical for this team from avoiding, you know, getting into a situation where they were chasing the game like they did against Kansas. So those are just sort of, to me, the big things early on was they didn't wait too long. And, and, that, and that's something that's heartening to see. Well, he's he's also uh, really pretty quick to like change up rotations. Yeah. Um, and you know, like we saw a lot of you know of Aiden against Kansas. Um, we saw three minutes of him uh, against UCF. Um, saw first action from from ODR in a while. Uh, but I think like very quickly, I think you could kind of see that like you know Trey Gamillion. Um, like he was, he was not good, uh, against UCF. 
um, and they needed a little bit more of an offensive punch. You know, we've talked, I think, a lot, uh, whether it's on the podcast or in, you know, writing about, about Trey and sort of what I sort of see as value. Um, you know, but he's not a guy that's that's just going to overwhelm anybody with talent. You know, he's going to come in and uh, and defend and, and kind of get after guys and try to help his teammates get in the right spots. You know, but when it comes to, like, helping you offensively, like, he's just, he's not that guy, at least not against, you know, higher major teams. Um, you know, and you look at, like, a team like Kansas has a lot of athleticism, so he struggled against that. Uh, UCF maybe not as athletic, but they're all big. Yeah. Um. You know they're they're a very uh, tall team, and so he was struggling there. Uh. And so I think like what you saw is a little bit of a switch of like his role with like you know what Ronnie DeGray, um, who we've seen and even before the season like you and I have talked about how he's just a guy that sort of gets how to play. Um. You know he's. Ronnie is never going to be an all-star. Um, he's got kind of an awkward shot. <laughs> he's he's an average athlete, uh, but he just he gets how to play and he knows how to you know be good around the rim. He knows how to cut timely, um, and more than anything, like he he knows how to defend and also like draw contact. Uh, and I think like that last part, you know he he initiated the contact on that offensive rebound kind of late in the second half, which sent him to the free throw line. He initiates the contact, but because he's in the, I guess the driver's seat and getting the rebound, he's able to, uh, I guess, massage the official into thinking that, (laughs) that there was a foul on the other player. Um, you know, and I think like that's just one of the things, those like savvy kind of heady player things that, that I've always liked about Ronnie and, and why I thought, you know, maybe he's not a guy you want, you want playing 28 minutes a game. Um, I think it probably helped that, uh, you know, that uh, Kobe Brown wasn't having a very good night. And, and even Noah Carter was was struggling a little bit. So, you know, you almost have to turn to Ronnie a little bit to make sure you have some kind of size. Uh, or at least somebody that can defend the five, maybe. Um, but I thought, like, you know, his, his play, despite only having, what... Uh, Five points was you know really really invaluable uh you know for for missouri winning that game yeah ronnie also making a good play you know getting a poke away steal uh and transition there down the stretch to to force a turnover was a really really important play as well to sort of just take away a possession uh also thought you know i wrote about deandre golston last week and just sort of you know whether he could you know backfill for isaiah mosley and he, he did that on saturday and I think the one thing that's sort of heartening here is the shot selection got cleaned up a little bit. You know, I thought there were some mid-range jumpers that historically he hadn't made, you know, that he took late in the stretch. But, you know, the first seven or eight minutes out of the locker room, I thought he was really, really good. I thought he you know, picked his moments when to shot hunt off the break. You know, he did a nice job getting to relocation threes, did a nice job not settling for a three on a kickout or a ball reversal, I think, and drove the gap and got to the rim. Thought he was solid defensively, and really, this is a game I think where his physicality on defense was really, really handy, especially against UCA, UCF's backcourt. So they got good productivity out of him, and really those three mid-range shots he hits, you know, down the stretch were probably the difference in this game. I know people say he banked in the three to win it, but 
as you noted in study hall, you know, there's the real difference here was Missouri won mid range shooting. Everything else was dead even. You know, rim scoring dead even, free throw shooting dead even, three point shooting dead even. Where Missouri won it was they won it with one extra bucket in the mid range, and the guy who was getting that was was DeAndre Golston. So, in a weird way, you know, a shot that he made probably between the six and seven minute mark, you know, probably was the difference in this game. And you know, I thought that's a credit to him, especially coming off the bench and finding his rhythm. And it's a credit to you know Gates to ride that. You know, they I thought in the first half Isaiah Mosley was getting the kinds of shots you want Isaiah Mosley to take. But Mosley's a rhythm scorer, and he hasn't played, you know, a lot lately. So, you know, it just looked like a guy trying to get his feet wet back again. And, you know, Ronnie, you know, made, you know, the decision easy for Dennis to ride the hot hand in the second half. So, so good on him for, for delivering what Missouri sort of needed in that spot, which was a guy who could hit shots. But also, I thought did a nice job coming down and countering, you know, what UCF was doing offensively, you know, as they were making their push, there were three makes down the stretch there where I thought, you know, Drew was answering guys at the other end. So just credit to him for, for not only coming off the bench, but, you know, delivering what Missouri needed in that spot. And, you know, hopefully, you know, he can continue to be that kind of guy moving forward and in that role as Mosley tries to, you know, get, you know, settled back in as sort of a primary option for this team. So uh, the, the Knights being a, a pretty familiar opponent. Um, oh, and three now against Missouri. Yeah. Johnny Dawkins might want to reconsider his scheduling there. Um, Cause each game has, has basically been a dog fight. Yeah. yeah. Um, Mizzou won. They won on and, home road and neutral now. So yeah. I don't know if anybody remembers, uh, you know, Conso's first year. Uh, Mizzou went down to, Orlando and 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 beat UCF uh, down there. Uh, Cash Robertson hit hit five threes. I think that that helps a little bit. Shooting the three point shot helps. Uh, the next year, uh, if you follow uh, our good friend Matt Watkins on on Twitter, he he tweeted out the Jordan Geis um, three point make to to send the game into overtime at at Mizzou the next year. Mizzou would go on to win that game in overtime. Uh, and then this year, where two, I mean, you know, uh, so I think Mizzou's not a bad three-point shooting team, but I don't think they're a great three-point shooting team. I think they're maybe average, slightly above average. You think that's fair? Yeah, they're 79th nationally in three-point shooting percentage. That, that's pretty good. Um, you know, I, 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 it's not elite. Um, but what's, uh, what's UCF? Do you have that in front of you? I am going to pull that up now. They are, uh, 37.9, 41st. Okay. So both, I think both teams percentages were greatly aided, uh, by <laughs> a hot shooting night, uh, in sunrise, Florida. Um, Mizzou hit 13 threes. Uh, UCF also hit 13 threes. Um, the three point shooting thing for me, like this is gonna, this is gonna happen probably a few more times this year where whatever, like, you know, plans you had, um, like sometimes the threes are just going to go in and you're just going to kind of, kind of ride that. 
Uh, the question I have is, are they, is that a shot they're deciding to give up? Like, I think the one three one. You know, to me, that's that's a, you know you're going to concede three balls out of the zone. That that's a shot. You know, you know the phrase "shooting people out of the zone" exists for a reason, and Missouri stuck with it for stretches, even when you know there were a couple contested makes by UCF. They stuck with it through the stretch in the first half. And I guess the question is going to be: Is Missouri going to decide that you know being you know, playing some zone is worthwhile to them because it's going to avoid the complications that we saw against Kansas, especially in middle ball screens, or in terms of when they rotate, you know, off the ball, is it easier for them to go one, three, one and just, you know, present a wall, you know, as the zone rotates, so guys can't drive the gap and are they cool with, you know, teams occasionally shooting over the top because it's going to mean that they're not going to get, you know, you know, stressed, you know, trying to help on penetration. So I think that that to me is the question. We're going to have to wait and see a couple more games, you know, how durable, you know, their volume of zone defense is. But that that to me is the thing, too, that I took away from this, is they, they, they stuck with the zone even when UCF shot well out of it. So, and uh, UCF, so, you know, the, the, the final numbers, and this is one of the things that I've always liked about stat broadcast, or stat broadcast you can look this up fairly quickly so i did um you know so ucf finished the game um what 13 of uh, they were under 50 percent uh 13 of 29 28 13 of 28 um they made one two three four five six six of their So, like, that's one of those things where, you know, it, it, during at the end of the game, you see the percentage, you're like, oh, you know, another team shot well against Missouri. But, you know, for the first 20 shots, three-point shots, they were shooting, you know, below their, their regular uh, percentage. And then all of a sudden they, you know, they go on this, this barrage. And really, like, that first, the first three that they, they hit after they missed – it looks like one, two, three, four, five in a row. Um, you know, they were down nine at that point. And so that's the one that they sort of came back and then, uh, you know, tied the game after, a, you know, a, another couple threes in a row. Uh, and then they missed their last three, Matt, which was the one that basically gave Mizzou a chance uh, to win. Um, you know, but if you look at the the shooting for, you know, when those threes went in, um you could argue that it book yeah, for, it bookended. Missouri shot the lights out to start the game. UCF shot the lights out to end the game. You know, it this was a game I felt like where it was wide swings either way, but you know, collectively they wound up balancing each other out a little bit. Yeah, you know, and it's just sort of it, it's just funny to me is like if if one of those threes you know doesn't go in um you know for either team then it's you know it just it changes everything and so so much of every game in in college basketball because of you know it's it's a shorter game than the nba um 
you know, every three point make and every three point miss is, is amplified just a little bit more. Um, especially when you're shooting at the volume, uh, that, that teams do know. Um, but yeah, I just sort of thought that was interesting. It's like, yeah, it, it did feel like Mizzou was basically getting, you know, bombed as this team is hitting all their shots down the stretch. Um, but that, I mean, that was them closing hard. A couple of those were well defended. Um, you know, you get, uh, you know, a, a good challenge on it. And sometimes the other team makes the shot. Um, biggest thing to me is this is, you know, if you look at Torvik's turning cast projections, Missouri, Iowa State, and UCF all kind of wind up floating around that last four by, last four in, first you know, four to six teams out type of category. And they're, I think that's, you know, what you see here, it's, it's way too early to call it a play-in game. But these are the types of things that, you know, these are the types of outcomes that that matter you know, at the end of the year, you know, this is right now sitting as a quad two win. If UCF performs a little better than maybe some think in the AAC, that might be a quad one win, you know, but I think at minimum it's going to hold as quad two, but these are the outcomes that, that, you know, to me, can you look at this game and see Missouri's thought process for what it was doing? You can. Were they able to make some plays late to get a win? Yes. Is this going to matter, you know, a couple months from now? We'll see. But when we look at just sort of where things are trending already, this could be the kind of thing that, that really matters come March. And so I I think the hard part is, you know, how much stock you sort of put in, in you know, the sample itself versus what, it, you know, the broader picture is sort of shaking out here as. And this is a team that, you know, we knew was going to have some leaky issues defensively. They have. We knew there were going to be questions about what they could do offensively in the half court. That's certainly the case now. But what really matters, too, at the end of the day is, are they getting the results they need? And they are. We'll see if they add up, you know, to something that might, you know, put them in the mix for the bubble or, you know, at the very least get them into the NIT. But, you know, the brief that they had through the first 10, 11 games of the season was don't take a bad loss. They didn't. Didn't even come close to really taking a bad loss and, you know, pick up two or, you know, at least two solid wins. You know, the Kansas result would have been great to have, but, you know, they did what they needed to do on the road at Wichita State and at a neutral floor that was a semi-away environment, you know, against UCF. They've done what they've needed to do. The only thing that's looked really, really questionable is the KU loss, but as we mentioned way back at the start of this pod, KU's on a bit of a heater right now. So will that result look different come March? But in aggregate, you know, they've been able to win at the margins. And that's really all you want to see from this group right now is they are doing what they need to do. They are finding ways to adapt and get results they need. And we'll see if they can keep doing it. We'll see if they can, you know, get Isaiah Mosley back and get him in a rhythm and start to give themselves a little bit more no room for error here. But I think in general, the margins you're talking about are right. And Missouri's been able to find a way to get the right result out of that. So I think that that's the big picture thing people should have, you know, as, as they sort of move forward into bragging rights. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. 
Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Into bragging rights. It's almost like you, you tried to cue that up. I'm not good at this podcasting thing. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, we, we turn our attention to, uh, you know, we typically record on Monday nights. It is Monday night, December 19th, uh, Thursday evening, December 22nd, Mizzou and Illinois will play a basketball game, one that they play annually in St. Louis. Uh, and it is the, the bragging rights game. Um, Illinois looks pretty good again this year. Um, you know, Brad Underwood's kind of got that thing going. Um, the Illini are eight and three. Uh, they have some huge wins, uh, and they have three losses that are not terrible losses. Uh, they lost to Virginia, um, uh, you know, who up until recently were top five in the AP poll, top two or three, something yeah. like that. Um, lost to Maryland on the road. Winning on the road is, is difficult, especially in conference. Uh, you know, the, the big 10 is doing this, you know, the weird thing that a lot of conferences are doing where they have these like early conference games in like early December because there's so many conference games they're trying to fit in now. Uh it's the only way that you can pull it off. Um so they they force teams into these uh these sort of weird December matchups. Uh so Illinois went on the road to Maryland who was playing pretty well at the time. Uh they're still top thirty in Kempom and and you know lost a close game. Turnaround, neutral site game against Texas, who I believe was number one in the AP poll at the time, uh, before uh, Chris Beard was arrested and uh, <laughs> uh, subsequently, so I guess, suspended. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was an overtime win for Illinois. It did kind of look like Texas was going to kind of win that game walking away. They made some kind of boneheaded plays over like the last four or five minutes, let Illinois get back in the game. Uh, and, and Illinois took advantage. Um, then the Illini went and lost in pretty ugly fashion to Penn State. And I know what you're thinking, Penn State, do they even feel the basketball team? Matt, they do feel the basketball team, and they're actually pretty good this and, year. And you know, and you know um, who's on that team? Well, they're led by Micah Shrewsbury, who is uh, Jeff Goodman's favorite <laughs> Name to float for job openings. Um, who are you gonna say? They got a picket. I was gonna say you're you're gonna bring up picket. So Jalen Pickett went off. Uh, as far as I know, not related to not, not related uh, to Javon, former Missouri. But it doesn't matter. <laughs> as far as we know, not related. As far as we know, but that surname just strikes fear into the hearts of all, 
that Illini roster. Doesn't matter who's on the Illini roster. It's it it just evokes fear and dread. Just cu- coming for Brad Underwood's throat. Um. Yeah. So they lost an ugly game. They lost by fifteen. Um. Penn State's really pretty good. They, they're looking like right now. Uh. They have the maybe the early resume of like a fringe NCAA team. They're thirty third in uh in Ken Palm. Probably need to pick up a few more quad one wins. Um. And then, so Illinois, while Missouri was taking down uh, UCF on a neutral floor, Illinois was playing Alabama A&M, who I don't know if many Missouri fans remember. Um, Alabama A&M is responsible for Kim Anderson's biggest win of his tenure uh, when the Tigers put the whipping, I don't even know what their mascot is, uh, on Alabama A&M. Uh, I'm trying to remember if that Bulldogs. was his last year or second to last year. But it was like 99 to like 44 or something like that. I'm looking it up. It was his last year was 99-44 indeed. Ha! <laughs> oh, so yeah. So last year, yeah, 99-44. Uh, so that's what Kim Anderson uh, and his Missouri Tigers did to Alabama A&M. Illinois uh, struggled. Um, AM looks a little better than they have in the uh, last few years. They're still th- 330th in Ken Palm as opposed to, I believe, it, that, that year they were probably. They were 349 that year. Like, yeah, I was going to say last or like, you know, one of the five worst teams. Um, but yeah, a 19 point win. Um, they sort of jumped out to a, I want to say it was like 16 point ish. Um, and then let. Alabama AM completely back in the game. Uh AM opened the second half on a 16 to 2 run. 16 0 run is what they have. It. Was it 16 0? Okay. I looked up and, and it was 16 to 2. Um that's un- unbelievable. Uh and there were some choice quotes uh from from several Illinois players after the game. Uh, to make it seem as though maybe not everybody's on the same page, there might be some internal problems. Um, regardless of all of that, they're still incredibly talented. Uh, if you've read the previews, you already kind of know. They have Taron Shannon, the Texas Tech preview, former Chicago area kid. Uh, really nice looking wing player, 6'6", physical. He's he's. Shooting the ball uh, a lot better than he has in years past, about thirty five percent this year. Yeah, Baylor transfer Dane Danger, um, big wide body. Uh, I think that we've talked about like one of the reasons why maybe Kansas was a better matchup um, than Il- Illinois, but maybe it's the other way around. <laughs> um, just because Missouri's actually done all right with like big interior dudes. Um, so maybe they can utilize uh, some of that experience and and negating Dane Danger. Um, I don't worry about Danes. I don't worry about six nine two seventy. But Coleman Hawkins That's is, is your about. boy. You, you you love that guy. He's he's a versatile, athletic, mobile six ten big man. Um, he plays a lot on the perimeter. They use him for for handoffs and ball. Have him bring the ball up. <laughs> he's yeah. He's he's a well. He's multifaceted, talented. Uh, Matthew Mayer, the Baylor transfer, um, big kind of combo forwardy guy, shoots the ball pretty well. Uh, Sky Clark, former Mocan fam, um, 
Former Kentucky. Five starish point guard. Coming off an yeah, injury. Yeah, it was Kentucky commit. Uh, tore his ACL, uh, decommitted, went through whatever you go through. I really like this freshman class, and even outside of Sky Clark. But um, in the minutes that I've seen him, I really like Jaden Epps. Yep. Um, Sincere Harris looks like a really nice player. Uh, we were big fans of Ty Rogers yep. uh, when he was a, a prep. Um, so these are all guys that, that, are, that are seeing, uh, you know, uh, minutes not uh not significant minutes sky clark plays um about 62 percent of the minutes um you know but harris and, and rogers are are seeing the floor about a third of the time and uh it's it's a talented roster and illinois looks like a the kind of team that will probably be in the top 25 most of the year provided whatever internal things they need to figure out uh you know are not as deep rooted as uh as maybe a lot of people are speculating about. Yeah, it's. I think that they're in a position sort of similar to Missouri in that there's not a lot of continuity there. I think them and Missouri are pretty much in close proximity near the bottom of the continuity rankings. Missouri just made a decision to go get older, and you know Brad Underwood, you know went out and Terrence Sand is a senior, and Matthew Mayer's a senior, and Coleman Hawkins is a junior. But outside of that, they are mostly underclassmen, and. You know, this is a freshman group that, that I, again, really like. I think Jaden Epps is sort of underrated nationally. I really, really like Ty Rogers, you know, big physical sort of wing. I think he's going to be able to, you know, eventually fill in. RJ Melendez has done a nice job kind of growing into a role there for them. You know, little used kind of guy, but, you know, you know, solidly kind of fills in the gaps defensively. This is a group that, you know, I, I think is going to have enough scoring and enough on-ball creation to give Missouri fits. The real issue is, you know, how do they decide to play, you know, offensively and with their size? Coleman Hawkins has been playing at the five. Um, Matthew Mayer is, I'd say he's more kind of a wingy combo forward he's, he, than he is more like a straight four. But if mm-hmm. they go to kind of their big lineup, their jumbo lineup of Hawkins and Danger, I think that can really give Missouri a lot of problems. There's there's going to be a ton of length on the wing. You know, they've got Shannon out there at six six. You know, they can play Epps or Clark out there at the point if they need to. But they can get really big at spots three through five, and I think that that's going to be a problem for Missouri, you know, especially because Hawkins is really, really mobile. I think he can really cause a lot of problems for you defensively. You know, teams have started to really crowd Missouri um, at the elbow area, you know, where they kind of try and run their pinch stuff, and that's gotten to be a problem for them. Kansas was pretty aggressive in some side pick and roll action that Missouri tries to run out of that. Um, RJ Melendez is big enough to do that. Matt Mayer is big enough to do that. And realistically, too, teams have started to run hard doubles at Missouri, especially back to Kobe Brown. They're doing a little bit less with uh, Noah Carter, but they still will send some extra help. If it's Coleman Hawkins and Dane Deja, that is a, a lot of arms, a lot of obstruction to have to work around. So it'll be interesting here. And the other facet of this, too, is Illinois is comfortable running. They are just as comfortable you know, playing the open floor as Kansas is. And they've got guys that can shoot. They've got some long-rangey athletes. So this is, to me, a, a game where I think, again, Missouri's going to have to figure out, you know, how can it run the way it wants to run? Because it can't, you know, have a repeat of what happened against Kansas where, you know, they are getting beat down the floor, where they're not doing a good job getting back, where they're, you know, just conceding open shots and they're being disorganized there. Brad will run some spread stuff. He's gotten back to that more in the last couple of years since AO's left. 
but this is still a team that can put Sky Clark in pick and rolls and still, you know, make things happen. So personnel wise, again, I still think this, you know, on paper, you know, can can give Missouri a lot more fits just because there is legit size there and it's skill size. So we'll see what Missouri's game plan is. Do they try and zone it a little more? Was what we've seen in the last couple of games hold up? Or is Missouri, you know, going to play man-to-man but just be a little bit less, I think, you know, risk-tolerant in terms of how they cover ball screens? So we'll see what they do, but that's the end I'm focused on is what is Missouri going to do defensively to try and cope with this team? If they can get stops and they can come down and they've got Mosley and they're starting, you know, to see what we saw Saturday, which is they're figuring out other ways to make the base offense work and they're able to get to that second side, that third side to create those overloads, I think they can find a way to score here. But again, they're going to need stops. And that that to me against every team they face is how is this team going to get enough stops to give itself a fighting chance? So that, that to me is the biggest decision that they're going to have is how aggressive do they want to be and are they going to be able to run but do so in a way that limits you know, what Illinois can do to them coming back the other way? So that everything else is going to be you know, sort of a side conversation to that. Can they get stops and give themselves a chance? Yeah, th- I mean, this is, as I was kind of alluding to, um, initially when we were kind of looking at you know, matchups and the way teams were playing, we were kind of thinking that, okay, like, you know, Kansas plays small. Um, maybe that can kind of play into Missouri's favor. Um, Missouri's decisions in pick and roll defense or lack thereof <laughs> voided that quickly. Yeah. Um, but you know, m- more than that, I mean, like you know, Kansas came out and and shot the ball well early and was able to like take away a lot of the advantage that Missouri might have been able to have. But for me, like Illinois was always a much, much worse matchup, um, you know, because of, you know, even like their guards and their wing players or, or you know, bigger, more physical guys. Uh, I, you know, I think maybe the only, if you want to kind of hold out a little bit of hope, I mean, Illinois kind of does turn the ball over a little Not bit. Not on a live um, ball, though. Yeah. Um I mean it's still like if if you're able to to limit the amount of shots that they're gonna get, um, if you're able to kind of get that turnover percentage, you know, in the twenty to twenty five percent range and, and and one thing that like Missouri hasn't done each of the last two games is is they have not valued the ball well enough themselves. Yeah. Um and that's one thing that I think they're really gonna need to do in this game. You know, because Illinois does turn the ball over, but they also, you know, force a lot of turnovers. Uh, you know, their their schedule right now has been. Uh, Brad has has not scheduled anybody in the middle. Um, they have played elite competition or trash competition. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, like their their opponents: Eastern Illinois three fifty six, UMKC twenty nine, Monmouth three forty five. Then UCLA, Virginia, three and eleven. This is Ken Palm right. Then Lindenwood. Lindenwood, three forty six. Syracuse. Oh, Syracuse is sort of in the middle. Um, they put the whooping on Syracuse. I don't know how Syracuse is ranked eighty first. I've seen them at least twice, and each time they they look terrible. Um, 
Maryland's 27th, Texas is 6th, Penn State is 33rd, Alabama A&M is uh, 330th. Um, Man, like, they have another, after Missouri, they play Bethune-Cookman, who's 347. And then the Big Ten gauntlet gets there. And then they they get into the Big Ten, and and the Big Ten, like, all right, Minnesota's 178. Everybody else is in the top 100. So he, he will not have played anybody in, in like in the two hundreds except for UMKC. And there and only one team in the uh in the one hundred two hundred range. That's kinda wild. Uh sorry, that's a little bit of a sidetrack. But I essentially what I'm trying to say is you know, they do force turnovers. Um they're thirty third in turnover percentage in the country. Um and with that schedule, uh Playing one, two, three, four, five, six top one hundred games so far. Like that's legitimate. Like that's that's legitimate. This is some of like Missouri's stats so far are a little bit of a mirage because it's based upon competition. Like who are you playing at this point? Uh, Ken Palm isn't adjusting your effective field goal percentage. He's not adju- adjusting your turnover percentage. He's just a- adjusting your efficiency. Yeah. Um. In, you know, and tempo and stuff like that. Uh. But the rest of those numbers are raw for Missouri, and and their their turnover rate is low, um, on or I guess high for defense, low for offense, uh, and I think that's probably going to be one of the things where we're going to find out if if this is something that they're going to be able to carry into uh, SEC play, or if if you know if. Dennis Gates is going to have to get a lot more creative as you go into SEC play, like we saw it. You know him. You know turn to the the zone to sort of help with the matchups on the defensive end. I think the one thing too you look at is is Clark initiating a lot for them. His turnover rate is, and we, and we saw this quite a bit with young guards. Is it's high. It's twenty nine point two percent turnover rate, and he's a young point guard. Jaden Epps kind of acts as a combo guard for them. 17.2 is not bad, but I don't think he's having to drive as much creation. Coleman Hawkins is who they rely on as kind of their secondary creator as a sort of a combo five guy. He's at 25.5%. So the question will be, how much can you sort of badger Sky Clark into mistakes? This is not, you know, Dewan Harris, you know, that you are facing, you know, a not a koozie award winning guy. Sky Clark's got a ton of talent, former five-star guy, but you know, in a lot of ways, you know, I think you could get into a situation that we saw last year with Andre Carbello where you can see on tape the guy's creative prowess is there, but the decision-making still has to get cleaned up a little bit. And in the half court, he's turning it over 23.7% of the time. Uh, you know, if you press him a little bit, you know, the you know the turnover rate jumps to 57.5%, but there's only seven possessions there. But I look at the half-court turnover rate numbers there in transition. He's actually giving the ball away, but not a lot of those are live balls. So 23.7%, that's that's still pretty robust for a point guard in the half-court. So we'll see. Maybe you know Missouri decides to be a little bit more aggressive there, but you know I think you're right in that who wins the, you know, the ball control battle is going to you know, dictate a lot in this game. And you know we'll see what, what Missouri is able to do with that into the floor and, and – just I think what what the overall outcome is going to be. I'm I'm really interested in two in how Missouri comes into this one, just because it felt like they were really amped up for Kansas. It felt like they were 
almost too, you know, like they'd had a couple of shots of espresso too much going into that game. Are they going to come in a little bit calmer, a little bit more, you know, flat lined and a little bit more even keeled, you know, going into another raucous environment? Because I, I can, you know, you and I both know what St. Louis is going to be like that night. It's going to be a split building. It's going to be raucous. So can they come in and keep a little bit more poise early on and, and really get a foothold in the game? Yeah. And, uh, you know, another thing, obviously like three point shooting is, is always important. Um, you know, I, I will kind of say that like they, they beat UCLA and one of the ways that they beat UCLA is Taryn Shannon lost his mind from three. Um, Shannon went, made eight of nine, uh, three pointers. Yep. Um, when they beat Texas, you know, it was, it was Matt Meyer hit five of five. Um, so it's like one of those, like their two biggest wins very clearly are, are those wins, um, you know, beating very clear, like top 10 level teams. Um, I, you know, I guess we'll see kind of what happens with Texas the rest of the way, but you know, like prior to Chris Beard getting suspended, Texas looked like a final four contender. Um, I still think they have that talent. It's just a matter of whether they can kind of, you know, uh, weather the storm there. Um, you know, but essentially, like, their two biggest wins came down to, like, their two experienced transfers coming in and just shooting lights out from, from deep. If somebody from uh, from Illinois gets on a, a tear like that, it's going to be really, really tough because, you know, they do have a, an overall talent advantage. Um, you know, Shannon right now looks like a draft pick. Yep. Uh, you know, he looks like a guy who, uh, you know, and I think last year he was getting kind of some second round hype, but there's people that are talking about, you know, him as like a mid to late first guy now, uh, because he's shown the ability that he can kind of shoot the ball consistently. And like, that's so important in today's NBA. Uh, Coleman Hawkins looks like an NBA player. Uh, I think he could he could shoot the ball better, but with his skill set, uh, skill set and his 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 size, like I don't see how you you don't um, <laughs> you know keep him out of the league. And then you know Myers, a guy who six nine two twenty five, like he's he's very sort of up and down. Um, he was like that his entire Baylor career. Uh, he's been like that so far this year. But when he's good, like he he looks every bit of the kind of guy who will be a pro. Um, I happen to think that Sky Clark has the talent to be an NBA player. So, like, this is just the kind of roster that, you know, Brad Underwood has has put together at this point, and, and it's talented. Um, you know, Missouri doesn't have a deep roster of guys who are likely to be drafted into the NBA. Uh, you know, like we've we've had some early NBA hype on somebody like Aiden Shaw, but you know, like that's strictly on him becoming uh developed enough offensively uh he's enough of an athlete to to get there but uh there's a whole lot of other things that need to be worked on i the kansas matchup to me was problematic in the sense of even if you didn't think the lineup you know was particularly big or particularly deep but you knew Dewan Harris was an elite level point guard. You knew Jalen Wilson was going to be an NBA guy. You know that, you know, 
Grady Dick is looking like a potential lottery pick at this point. And Kevin McCuller had a great game that day, but you thought you had at least a solid defensive presence from him. And those were all veteran. You know, three of those guys were vets. I'm not sure that Illinois has a one-and-done type of guy on that roster. You know, Terrence Shannon's looking really, really great. Coleman Hawkins is good, but is he, you know, in the same sort of level as a, you know, Kevin McCullough or as a Jalen Wilson? I'm not sure. And this cast is is younger, too. You know, when I'm going to go look at Kansas's experience level here, Kansas came into this game, you know, at 245th in terms of experience. Illinois is younger than them in terms of actual you know, age and experience and then continuity. So to me, you know, is Missouri going to see a team that, you know, still has some hot, good, really good high-end components? Is there still a problem in terms of, you know, the size differential? Yes. I, I don't want to undersell Illinois in that sense, but this is still a roster where Sky Clark is a freshman point guard. You know, Jaden Epps is a freshman combo guard. You know, getting into their bench units, if you really start to look at where they are, it's starting to be young guys that they're having to rely on. Danger, you know, is older, but he didn't really play a lot at Baylor. So he's, you know, been around for big games, but he hasn't been in those types of environments. So I think that helps to a certain extent that you're not seeing guys who have as much big game experience, you know, once you get deep into that lineup there. So there's a world again, you know, where, you know, it felt like we said this before the Kansas game, where if Missouri can get to the point where it controls tempo enough and it can sort of get, you know, the game to its sort of t- terms, they've got a shot here. And, you know, hopefully what happened against Kansas sort of locks this group in to they need to be ready to go, ready to go from the start and just, you know, keep them, you know, keep the heart rate, you know, pretty steady as they do this. But there's there's a shot for them here. It's just they're going to need to get the big things right here, and, and we'll see if they can do that. Do you have a prediction? I'm going to let you go first. I always have to go first. So you, you make, the <laughs> I'm going to flip this. You well, go. the whole point of you going first is because I always do the opposite. No, that's, that's, that's what now I'm turning the tables here and, and you go. First. Uh, I, I think Illinois wins this game. Um, so I'll be, I'll be the negative Nancy. Um, so Ken Palm has a prediction of Illinois plus five, 8277. Uh, I think that's short. Um, I think at this point, Brad knows the, the rivalry. I think he's going to want this game. And I think, uh, I think the Alabama A&M, uh, bump was just that it was a bump. Um, and Illinois gets right against Missouri. I'm going to say they, they win. We'll say 88 to 74. I was going to say 85, 75, Illinois. I, <laughs> that was, again, this, I don't know how the, how it's going to look. I think it'll wind up around 10. You know, is it Missouri slicing 20 points down to 10, or is it a game that's, you know, sat at, you know, three to four, and Illinois gets, you know, some buckets late from guys who are just, I think, better. And realistically, the variable here that we can't account for is how much, and how impactful is Isaiah Mosley going to be? You know, he didn't play at all against Kansas. I don't know how drastically he would have swung that from the margin it was, but 
I don't think it would have been 28 if Mosley was in there breaking some runs. If Mosley's back, you know, and able to give Missouri something, I'm not to say he's going to go toe-to-toe with Shannon, but he can give Missouri something approximating, you know, an alpha presence. I think it can make a difference in this game. It's just, I feel like the size is going to make a difference. Even if Missouri is able to turn Illinois over, you know, I'm looking at Illinois in terms of their rebound rate right now. You know, they do a good job, a solid job, a really good job, actually. They're 31st. I had read the wrong home. They're 31st in offensive rebound rate. You know, I think they're going to be able to force some turnovers the other way. It, it's going to be Kim Missouri, you know, do a good enough job in the base offense. Can it get something from Mosley when that bogs down? And can they dictate how this game is run in the open floor? If they give themselves a shot, I could see them flipping it late. I just think they're older. I think they're going to be able to have some guys who they've who've shown in close games so far that they can execute down the stretch. But can they do enough to keep contact? We'll see. But I think it, it winds up being a ten point margin. Yeah, um, I, w- I would just I would be surprised if it's within, um, you know, the the five point margin. I mean, it'd be great if if it were in the five point margin because I, you know, like I I think Missouri really probably wants a better result than what happened against Kansas. Like I I think that the you know I. At this point, the staff has to know what they have. They have to have a you know a good idea of kind of where this team is and what uh, what they need to do to be competitive in the SEC. Um, and so I think they're probably going to be very focused on making sure that they get a better result than what happened against Kansas. Um, you know, I if I were Dennis Gates, that would be like one of the things that I'm trying to make sure that. You know, my team, as we go into this game, as we play this game, that the game is more competitive than than what happened against KU. Uh, for that, I think, you know, if you can keep it within 10, you're probably feeling all right. Um, if you keep it within five, I think you've got something to build on, um, you know, and, and sort of take that momentum. Hopefully, maybe you can uh, snipe Kentucky at, at, at home and uh, next week, so real games are here now. There, <laughs> yeah, there. There's no breaks for 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 a minute. Um, your your biggest break is Vandy is Vandy on January seventh, and then South Carolina a month later, February seventh. So it's it's gonna be some tough sledding. Um, hopefully, uh, hopefully the Tigers are up for it. Hopefully they can, um. I mean, I, I will say, like, seeing how they played even after, like, the slow start against UCF, um, they are resilient. They fight hard. Uh, I don't think this is a team that's going to take, like, a really long losing streak. Um, it's just a matter of, like, finding a way to win in a game because there, like, there are some tough stretches, uh, and they're, they're going to have to figure it out. So... Uh yeah, there there's your your sunshine pumping podcast for the week. What we do here. <laughs> uh I didn't actually mean it to take such a dark turn. Um but uh yeah, I mean I I I think the UCF win actually you should be heartened because uh you know like I I don't really even think they played all that well. They they shot well. They they did enough to to win the game, obviously needing a a banked in three at the buzzer. Um 
but I, I think that those are the kinds of things that can kind of help a team figure itself out and, and win the games that they need to win to, uh, you know, to make an imprint um, on league play. You got anything else where you want to get out of here? No, I'm just eager to to see this, you know. It's, a, it's just a really fascinating game. You know, I, I think the one thing I've enjoyed about Dennis Gates so far is, you know, he, he gets into good chess matches. He got into a good one with Isaac Brown, got into a good one with Johnny Dawkins, and I'm really, really eager to see what he does, you know, against Brad Underwood. You know, again, I think we respected Conzo Martin for his ability to, you know, put together a good scout and have his guys execute it. But I think so far, at least, you know, in the small handful of games we've seen against, you know, decent competition, you know, two out of the three, Dennis has done a really nice job in terms of, you know, showing that he's flexible and that he's going to counter. And then you get into some really interesting stuff. I thought, Oh, he and Johnny had a nice sort of like cat and mouse game. So I'm really interested to see what uh, he does against Brad and sort of if it can put Missouri in a position to to get a win here. And the last thing I'll say is this, if you flip this result, it really makes, you know, the path, potential path to getting into the bubble mix a lot easier for this team. It, it really makes their job in SEC play to flip some road games against comparable teams and pick off somebody at home, the plan. So. It feels like one of those games where I think you and I are both sort of expecting Illinois to prevail, but if if they flip this, it feels like it puts a lot more on the table for them going into SEC play. So that's what I'm eager to see. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a, it'll be a quad one win, um, something that they do not have uh, to this point. Uh, so with that said, um, thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Uh, if you enjoy this podcast, you should probably make sure that you are subscribed to our podcast feed. Uh, you can get the podcast feed uh, through Spotify. We're on Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Play Store. Uh, if you're subscribed, you also get the latest episodes before the box score. Uh, Nate and BK are breaking down this uh, this bowl game that's happening on Friday. Uh, Missouri is playing in a bowl game on Friday at 5.30 Central Time. Um check your local listings um but yeah so they're they're doing a good job there all that'll be up at the site make sure you head over to rockamnation.com you can check that out follow matt on twitter uh, at matt j harris 85 you can follow me on twitter at sam t snelling uh twitter is still alive it lives for another day uh elon musk uh was voted down as uh being the uh the, i guess existing ceo he's there i guess the the, the tweeters are trying to get him to be replaced. Uh, he lost that poll, Matt. You have any takes on that? Let's just get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be back next week. Thank you for tuning in.